Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. Will you stand with us? Let's sing together to the Lord. He is worthy of our praise. We want to see his glory today. want to see your power. We're thankful to be here. Welcome church. It is so good to be here and it's so good to connect with you who are watching online. We're glad to be together and we're glad to gather and minister to you. And we pray that this service is a blessing to us and a blessing to you. How good 
it is to be the church. The people of God get to gather and connect and to sing his praises. I don't know about you, but I look forward. I hope that's you too. I look forward to this day every week. Amen. Out of 168 hours in my week, I get to be with you and connect with you for maybe a little bit over an hour. So that we look forward to that. Isn't that amazing? So we're thankful for that. And we want more of that. Amen. We want more of that. So let's read from 1 Chronicles 16. Let that remind you who we are and what we're here for. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Let us rejoice and seek the Lord together today. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face. Seek his presence always. And remember the wonders he has done. Lord, remind us what you've done in this place, what you've done in our lives, in our families, in our community, in history. Lord, point our hearts to you. You are good. Each time I doubt your goodness, you show
66 says, say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. Come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds for mankind. Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. Praise be to God 
who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me.
So, Father, we praise you as we have been singing that you are so incredibly, continually, unfailingly faithful. That you will never forget about us, you will never lose sight of us, you will never get bored with us, you will never become disinterested. And we know that because of Jesus, because the wonder of wonders, the greatest story ever told, uh, beyond comprehension, not anything we could make up as a God became man. And there was never a moment in the perfection of Christ that Jesus sinned. There was never a moment that Jesus didn't love his neighbor, that he didn't love God with all his heart, soul, and mind. There was never a moment when Jesus was greedy, when Jesus was sinfully angry, when Jesus lusted, when Jesus coveted, and on and on. Jesus lived an absolutely perfect life and died a perfect death. And so that the moment we believe, you give us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we are seen as righteous in your sight. And you take our sins away as far as the east from the the west. And so we praise you this morning for Jesus. We praise you for this ultimate act of faithfulness that Jesus is our rescuer, our savior, our redeemer, our restorer, our life. And Father, we want to come before you because you are so faithful We thank you that we can come before you and we can confess. We can confess our sins. And this morning, my heart is heavy with what's going on around us. And I want to confess to you this horrible sin of racism and ask that you would deliver us as followers of Christ from any sense of pride, any sense of tribalism. 
and we would love all people as you love all people, people you have created in your image. I wanted to confess to you the, the horror of looting and what's taking place in some of our cities and how that's changing our cities, our downtowns. I want to confess to you the Holocaust of abortion on demand. We hate the murder of innocence. Father, I want to confess to you that in our culture, the family as we know it is breaking down the traditional family, that we are redefining marriage. And that does not bode well for any of us. And we bring this to you, we bring to you as followers of Christ, our arrogance, our, our disbelief in what we've been singing, our disbelief in your faithfulness. And we ask that you would, by your spirit, give us a greater vision of Jesus because Jesus said, when he comes speaking of the spirit, he will glorify me. Will you, by your spirit, help us to see the beauty and the wonder of a bleeding and dying savior? And we thank you, Father, that you have given us your Son. And we pray now, God, that you would work in our hearts by your Spirit, that Jesus would dwell in our heart by faith, not COVID, not money, not school, not friends, but Jesus. And we pray for the financial needs of our church as we go through these last couple difficult months. We thank you that August is better, but we want to pray for Wheaton Bible. We want to pray for our sister churches to lift up Jesus Christ around uh, the country, around the world, and pray, God, that God's people would step up and God's people would respond. And we would be amazed as we move through COVID and look back what you are doing through the generosity of your people. And we thank you that we can come to you because you are faithfully generous, King of kings and Lord of lords. And we pray in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. Mi nombre es Erika Bringas y sirvo en el equipo técnico de la iglesia. En el momento en que vi todas las cámaras, la producción que se hace en esta iglesia, yo dije, uh, wow, yo quiero servir ahí. He aprendido um, a enfrentar miedos, incluso uh, eh, hablar inglés no es mi, uh, mi primer idioma y tengo uh, que hacerlo. Y uh, muchas veces uh, no lo había intentado por miedo, pero yo dije, uh, tengo que hacerlo. Y lo que me gusta es, todo es nuevo para mí y es el reto de aprender cosas nuevas y de... Um, saber que lo puedo hacer. Um, yo pienso que no necesito estar al frente con el pastor predicando. Um, soy parte de. Uh, yo eh, estando atrás y haciendo lo que hago en switcher, en cámaras o en CG, soy parte de, de todo ese mover en la iglesia. Eh, soy parte de, de uh, me siento parte del, del mismo um, pastor cuando está predicando porque eh, es un trabajo conjunto. No importa que eh, no, no estemos visualmente la, el equipo técnico, 
eh, somos parte de, eh, del alcance que tiene la misma iglesia, que tiene eh, el pastor al estar predicando. Eh, ahorita que está viendo oh, la contingencia del coronavirus, um, y, y se utiliza el medio de, de la tecnología para alcanzar a, a personas que no conocen de Dios o personas que no pueden salir de su casa. Good morning, familia. Listen, there's only a few of us, but that doesn't mean that you have to be all depressed. We have hundreds and hundreds of people online also joining us in worship. Yo creo que um, cuando servimos dentro de la iglesia, Dios sonríe con nuestro servicio. Cada vez que, que hacemos, uh, servimos dentro de la iglesia y lo hacemos de corazón, eh, Dios sonríe, Dios se agrada de eso. Al llegar a esta iglesia me sentí un poco desconectada porque por naturaleza soy tímida, uh, pero al servir dentro de la iglesia uh, pude conocer más personas, conocer uh, incluso personas que no hablan mi, mi, mi mismo idioma y convivir con ellos y, y aprender de ellos. This church is my family. Come and serve with me. We are so thankful for the amazing volunteers that use their unique talents and gifts to glorify God here each week. If you're ready to join a team and start serving, you are wanted and you are needed. Our tech team that uses their skills to amplify and broadcast our worship and teaching, and our Kids Life team that builds strong biblical foundations in the next generation are in need of reinforcements. Would you help them as we welcome back more families to our on-campus services? If you want to get signed up, the quickest way is to visit wheatonbible.org volunteer. And if you're not sure which team is right for you, you can send us a message and we'd love to help you join a team that you were made for. And if you didn't just catch that Kids Life is looking for some volunteers, it's because we're so excited to be reopening our on-campus kids' rooms on September 13th. We'll be sharing more details this week, but all rooms will have additional precautions in place to limit class sizes and increase social distancing. Student Life will also start meeting on campus again for their evening gathering. We'll be sending parents an email with more details, or you can check our kids and student life pages later this week. See you soon. Our church is led by a board of elders made up of members of our church. Each year, some of our board terms end, and we need to elect new elders to represent our campuses and oversee and guide our church. Right now, our elder nominating committee is seeking your suggestions for elder candidates. If you know someone that would lead our church and campus as well, you can email Donna Stone with their information to be considered as an elder candidate. Last, I want to share an update from one of our ministry partners. On August 4th, 3,000 tons of fertilizer stored at Beirut's port exploded, leaving 220 people dead, 7,000 injured, and 300,000 homeless. While this alone is horrific, this tragedy came on top of Lebanon facing regular power blackouts, food and fuel shortages, and their currency's value plummeting 85% in the last year. Since 2014, and through your generosity, we've partnered with courageous Lebanese Christians serving Syrian refugees fleeing war and violence. These indigenous leaders immediately responded in the wake of Beirut's devastation. Last week, we were able to send a $10,000 emergency grant to our partner ministries to continue providing food, hygiene essentials, medical supplies, shelter, and trauma care, offering the comfort of Christ and prayer with others and lifting up their fellow citizens in Beirut. Thank you for your generosity, which enables our church to have long-term relationships already built up to strengthen our ability to shine Christ's light 
in someone's darkest hours. Please continue to pray for these dear leaders and for the people of Lebanon. And if you're able, would you take a moment right now to prayerfully consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry here, like our partners in Beirut? You can do this by visiting wheatonbible.org give or mailing a check to the church office. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here and around the world. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Well, good morning. It is wonderful to see you this morning, to see some people here, to, to be with all of you that are joining us online here domestically in the United States and literally in different parts of the world. I am Rob Boo, I'm the senior pastor here, and we are in a series, The Invincible Church. Jesus Christ told us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Not COVID, not rampant secular individualism that uh, denies the existence of God, dismisses the work of the church in Western culture. The gates of hell will not prevail. As a matter of fact, according to the New Testament, the church is the hope of the world. Amen? So this is appropriately entitled the Invincible Church because the church of Jesus Christ is, in fact, by the power of the Spirit, the presence of Christ, and the love of the Father, invincible. Now today, I want to talk about the gathered church when we come together because invincible churches do just that. We come together because we understand that the face-to-face -face meeting of the larger body of Christ, what we call our, our worship services, is not just essential, it's also commanded and it's actually the primary or one of the primary ways we grow as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to come back to those in just a minute. But some of you are thinking as I say this, hey, Rob, you're nuts. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And yes, I get this. And yes, of course, COVID has changed things. So it's been necessary for us as a church, most other churches to close or now to be limited in what we can do, limited in our abilities uh, to get together. Uh, for safety reasons and out of love, uh, that's necessary. It's necessary for us to be cautious. It's necessary for so many of you for good reasons uh, to only meet with us online in the safety of, of your homes. We understand that and we get that. As a matter of fact, there's been different moments throughout the history of the church when that's exactly been the case. So the church would go underground as it is right now in different places in the world because of persecution. And then churches would often be closed because of natural disasters or, or, or disease. And then they would reemerge and come back to life. And that's what I want to talk about today. So I do not want you to hear me uh, throwing caution to the wind and say everybody rushed back to church, although I would love that. 
As a matter of fact, I can't say that because my wife's a physician and she would kill me. But while it's necessary for us to have been closed and while it's necessary for us uh, to be limited uh, right now, It's important that we see that while it's a necessary thing, it's also a bad thing. And it can be a necessary thing to be limited and a bad thing at the same time because they're, they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, can you imagine David uh, the king of Israel in the Old Testament saying, hey, Tim Hoff, there's not going to be a temple because Judaism is going to be an individual thing. Uh, can you imagine Jesus discipling the 12 over Zoom? Uh, no, discipleship, Christian community requires proximity and presence. That's how we grow and that's how we thrive so uh, we need to look at online community, and it's really important for us now. Please don't misunderstand. We need to look at online community, however, as an exception, not the norm. And I want to develop this by taking you to a passage in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, that has what I think is volumes just volumes to say about the local church. So would you stand, those of you that are here, would you stand with me as we read beginning in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, that's Jesus' body, and since we have a great priest that would also be Jesus over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Now let me stop for a second. Did you notice beginning in verse 19 all the Old Testament temple metaphors? Do you see what the writer of the book of Hebrews is addressed to Jewish Christians, uh, to Messianic Jews? So what the writer is doing here is he's telling us as good as the old temple, Old Testament temple was, Jesus is infinitely greater. As significant as old temple, Old Testament temple worship was, what Jesus provides us is infinitely better. So with that in mind, let's read beginning again in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is what? Faithful. That's what we've been singing about. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Now you may be seated. I want you to see three things here relative to Christian community 
The first is how important it is. That's where I'm going to spend the bulk of my time. How mission critical it is. Then second, what it requires from us as followers of Christ. And then third, where the power comes from to enter into, to serve, to develop this type of Christian community. So I'm going to talk about the priority, the nature, and the key to Christian community. So let's begin with the priority. Others call this the irreplaceability of the church of Jesus Christ, the gathered body of Christ. And let's begin with verse 25. So I'm beginning at the end, if you will, and notice this is a command. Not giving up, do not give up meeting together. Now there's two words, meeting together. They come from one compound word in the Greek. It's a preposition and then the word, and, and the word is literally synagogue with. Meeting together is where we get our English word synagogue from. And it always means a congregation. Now others have pointed out there is a difference between an aggregation and a congregation. Not an aggravation, okay? Uh, but an aggregation and a congregation. What is an aggregation? Well, you know, it's a group of people that go to a concert or a sporting event. Wouldn't that be nice now? If we could do that? But there are a group of people, but they're all disconnected. A congregation is different. A synagogue is, is different. Uh, because it's a, a group of people, a community of people uh, that are caring for one another, connected to each other, people who pray together, people who worship together as we are, who study God's word together, who eat together, who uh, spend time with one another, who do life together, who invest in each other and bear one another's burdens. When we come to this word meeting together, and I know it's too in the English, but the synagogue with, there's an organic and spiritual connection in the word. Now, if that's not enough, we also bump into this in, in the two words, one another, that occur twice in our passage. Sharing, spurring one another, rather, and encouraging one another, verse 24 and verse 25. And we see these one another uh, words sprinkled throughout the New Testament. One another means mutuality. It means a spiritual interconnectivity. It, 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 it's the idea of I'm here for you, you're here for me. I'm praying for you, you're praying for me. I will come alongside you in your need, you will come alongside me and mine. As a matter of fact, when we tease out and all we've done is really look at two words, synagogue and one another, what we, we discover is that he, just here alone that the New Testament never entertains a notion of a believer who spends his life in isolation from the church. <laughs> now, let me go back and talk for a moment about this command at the beginning of verse 25. Uh, let us not give up, let us not give up, let us not give up meeting together. And this is where pastors uh, 
have often made mistakes. And frankly, I've been guilty of this in the past. And they say, okay, look at this. This is a command, and therefore, the application of the command is go to church. Always go to church. And at a simple level, that's true, but there's something much deeper, if you will, something much more, pro, more profound that's going on here because when we're commanded, do not give up meeting together in this context, we are to go to church um, spurring one another to love and good deeds, encouraging one another, forgiving one another, bearing one another's burdens, loving each other, uh, forgiving each other. And on and on. In other words, we are to be a particular type of people. And we are to do particular types of things. It's not like attending a rock concert. There's this organic spiritual connectivity that each and every one of us as followers of Christ must own. So here's my point. You can go to church every Sunday of your life. And never engage in the one another's. Never experience a spiritual organic connection. But on the other hand, if you don't regularly participate in the gathered body of Jesus Christ, if you're not involved in your groups and all the different things, all the different forms the church uh, can take, um, you're not going to experience this opportunity to pray together, to be prayed for, to, um, to learn to forgive, to learn to serve, to learn uh, how to encourage be, as you are encouraged. Now, some of you are thinking, and man, I want to take this head on, but I have my circle of friends. Or I've got my small group. And frankly, my weekends are busy, and I, I've got stuff to do, and you know, I, I, I just can't, I can't make church. And there is a fundamental theological problem with that thinking here in our passage. And it occurs in the first four verses. Because these first four view, verses are using Old, temple, Old Testament temple worship as the dominant metaphor. So we see, for example, in verse 19, most holy place, then the curtain, then the priests, and sprinkling, all uh, uh, alluding to the public gathering of God's people in worship at the temple in the Old Testament. Now I'm all for your circle of friends. I've got mine. They have got me through some of the most difficult periods of my life. I'm all for your small group. I'm all for the different ways you serve together, connect together for, uh, for your experience as a, as a family. As a matter of fact, as early, as early as the book of Acts, we see the church expressing itself in different forms, in large public worship in Jerusalem, and then meeting house to house in small groups in different forms, sharing meals together, sharing life together. My point here. In our passage, this command, let's not give it up. Let's not give up a, a meeting together, refers to the body of Christ gathered in worship, what we call our worship services. Now, yes, small groups or uh, a, a drive-up experience in a car, a boat, a motorcycle, uh, your um, bicycle can be wonderful discipleship and missional uh, opportunities, but it's not the church. 
So we gather together as a larger body of Christ in worship because it's commanded here in verse 25. But there's a second, there's a more compelling reason here in our passage. So look at these two verses. Verse 19, we have confidence. Notice the word confidence. I'm going to come back to that. To enter the most holy place. And then we read, let us draw near to God. Now you understand, don't you, if you are a Christian, that this was not possible in the Old Testament. You could not, as a normal believer in God in the Old Testament, you could not enter the most holy place. Only the high priest could do that. And only one day a year on Yom Kippur. And in the technical sense, it's used here in our passage uh, because the presence of God in the tabernacle and then the temple uh, uh, was above the Ark of the Covenant and it was sealed off with a curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, you could not, in the sense it's used here, you could not draw near to God. The priest did that once a year. Now think about that. Because of the fall, because of the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we're all sinful, fickle people. Our hearts are prone to wander. We take the good things in life, the good things, the blessings God gives us, and we turn them into ultimate things, and they become idols in our lives, and they begin to consume us, and, and it's a subtle thing. Uh, we tend to be ugly towards other uh, or people. We tend to be self-serving rather than, than selfless. And you know what we need? What we desperately need is an experience, a continual experience of the presence and the majesty of the living God. Because when that happens, when God meets us in worship, when God meets us in his word, when God meets us through other people and the thing, or, or, or through nature, man, that revives us, it renews us, it recalibrates us, it changes us because I have just experienced the presence of God. Now do you see what's going on? The wonderful news of verses 19 through 22 in contrast to the Old Testament is that we can draw near to the living God. We can draw near to Jesus because of what he has done for us in living his perfect life, dying his perfect death, being raised from the dead. And so while we today have access, 19 through 22, what comes immediately after in our passage is that we are commanded beginning in verse uh, 24 to gather together as the larger body of Christ. So we have the reality, we have the access, and then we have the response. And do you see the connection? The way we access our access to the living God is through the celebration of worship in the body of Christ. Do not forsake meeting together. Come to Jesus, the living temple. Draw near to God. So the extent you and I 
to the extent you and I engage uh, with the church, what we are being told, what we are being promised here, if you will, is that we will draw near to God. It's how God grows us. It's how God develops us. It's how God you, uh, uh, revives us. Uh, Christian community is a divinely appointed mechanism for spiritual growth. For the experience, and I don't know about you, I, I don't want to fill my head, man. I want to experience the living God. I want the functional reality of God to change my life. Now, yes, don't misunderstand private Bible study, personal Bible study, small groups, uh, private prayer, praying in groups, your circle of friends. All of those things are, are part of the process God uses to grow you. My point is you need the temple. You need the larger church. And I say this because do not let COVID destroy your concept of corporate worship. Don't let that happen to you. We must mourn our inability to gather as we gathered prior to COVID. We must pray that this will end. We must look forward to the day uh, when we all can be back together. And we've got to be really careful of thinking, man, this is easy to stay at home. You know, I don't have to get dressed. I can stay in my pajamas. I can participate in pajama church. And I, I, I don't have to get the family dressed and we don't have to drive across town or, uh, and, and engage and serve and, and do all these things. I mean, uh, being with people and being a part of the church takes work. Work, of course it does. Anything important requires work. How much more so the kingdom of God? Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was working in my yard, which I love to do, and I was cutting some uh, ground cover that had encroached on a sidewalk that went around the side of our house. And so I was cutting away when all of a sudden, man, I was attacked by heat-seeking missiles called yellow jackets. And they started stinging me. And man, I got stung in the ear, I got stung in the face, and I'm backpedaling, and I don't know how it happened, but I ended up in the street dancing, trying to get these yellow jackets off me. They go inside your clothes. So then I realized that I was getting stung in the back and the legs, and I run into the garage, and I start taking stuff off. I get everything off, and I had been stung 10 times. And you know, the first three days, man, it burned, it itched, it was uh, difficult, but by the end of the week, the pain was gone. You know what COVID is? COVID is hundreds of yellow jacket stings. It's sickness. It's death. It's job loss. It's watching uh, your company uh, circle the drain. It's not being able to go to school. It's not being able to play your instrument. It's not being able to play your sport. It's not, able, it's not being able to be with your friends in the hallways. It's not being able to travel. It's uh, not this. It, it, it's not that. And I want to tell you this morning, it will pass. 
Like a bee sting, it's going to go away. And I wonder, coming out of COVID, where are you going to be in terms of your commitment and your allegiance to the gathered body of Jesus Christ? Hebrews chapter 10 says, the church is irreplaceable. It's indispensable. Uh, and we are commanded to gather together, and, and we sometimes don't understand how God is working in our lives and all the different ways he's speaking to us, but when we come together, it's one of the primary ways we grow, one of the primary ways we draw near to God, and I hope you're doing that now. I hope you're doing that, that this morning. So now let me go on. Let me pick up the pace, and I'm going to talk about some requirements or the nature of um, the gathered body of Christ, the larger body of Christ. And I want to do this in terms of what is thick, not thin, Christian community. Uh, thick, meaningful community, not thin, superficial community. And our passage says way more than I have time to go into. So I want to look at three requirements, if that's going to be our experience, if that's how we're going to leverage um, and, and serve the church. And the first requirement, according to verse 23, is that you are spiritually tenacious. Look at the verse. Let us hold, there it is, unswervingly to the hope we profess. We are to be a people that hold unswervingly to the hope of the gospel, uh, unswervingly to a bleeding and dying Savior, to, to Jesus. Now, I, uh, I want to illustrate this by, uh, with a profound theological illustration that has everything to do with chipmunks. So people say if you have a chipmunk problem, and I've had in my backyard a chipmunk problem that's cost me money, that one of the ways you can trap chipmunks is with, are you ready? Peanut butter. Peanut butter is a profound tool the Holy Spirit has given us. <laughs> Why? Well, because chipmunks love peanut butter. Satan is the same. Satan is not going to trap you with the things you hate. He's going to trap you with the things you love. It's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When you eat this fruit, you will be like God. You will have the control. You will have the knowledge. You will have the insight, the perception, uh, like God. So if you are a person who loves your appearance... Satan will trap you by intensifying that love for your appearance. If you're a person that loves money, uh, well, Satan will trap you by making you dissatisfied with your income so that you will be consumed by making as, more and, as much money as you possibly can. And never mind the dead body or two you leave in your wake. Or if you love your second home, or it's your first home, or if you're, uh, it's your abilities, or it's your hobbies, Satan will come along. And because of those loves, uh, they will begin to consume you. Or if you love holding grudges. And I can't explain it to you, but apparently some people do. Or if you love having your life revolve around yourself, you know what Satan's going to do? He, he's going to trap you by nursing those. 
Satan is going to trap you with peanut butter. With what you love. And so, and so, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is why verse 23 is so important because verse 23 is the antidote. We hold unswervingly to Jesus, to the mercy of Jesus. We have a vision of the beauty and the compassion and the wonder of a bleeding and dying Savior, as I said a couple times this morning. And what that does is it keeps us on course so we don't deviate, we don't veer, we hold unswervingly. Why? Because that's where the hope is. Notice the word hope. The hope. You see, unlike so many people around us today, one of the things that distinguishes us as followers of Jesus Christ is that our lives overflow with hope. Well, not always, but generally speaking, we have this profound hope. Now, let me tease this word hope out for a minute because I want to go below the surface and I want to tell you something that I happen to think is really important. I want to talk to you about your identity and your purpose and then how it relates to hope. If you are a follower of Christ, your identity is fixed. Your identity is not something you earn. It's not the product of the choices of your life. Your identity is given to you, and your identity is that you are loved eternally by your Father in heaven. Amen? Your identity is something you receive. It's not something you earn. It's unshakable. It's unfailing. It's eternal. It's permanent. And your purpose in light of your identity is that you love your heavenly father with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, as Jesus calls that the first commandment. So when you understand at the core of your being that your identity isn't the approval of others, the identity isn't your achievements, the identity is I am loved by God. And my purpose is to love others then that fills your life with hope. Regardless of your circumstances. Regardless of what's going on around you. And we hold, we cling to that hope in Jesus. Now let me go on. Let me take the next two together. Spurring one another, 24, encouraging one another in in verse 25. Now, spurring one another has to do, and I'm speaking generally, okay, with speaking the truth in love, and encouraging one another has to do with loving people to the, uh, the truth. The word spur comes from a Greek word, and now get ready for this, that means to irritate. It means to confront. Think of a spur being jammed in the side of a horse. It irritates a horse. It creates... Uh, pain, in a, in a sense, it confronts the horse. So you know you are engaged in Christian community when you have people in your life that can come along and, and say to you, hey, a minute, wait a minute, why in the world are you thinking this? Or, or where have you been? Where you're open and honest uh, enough uh, with yourself, you're transparent enough to allow those people in your life. 
Now let me tell you uh, why this is so necessary. Why your friendships with other believers, your small groups, why being a part of the larger church, being under the ministry of the word in all its different forms is so necessary. Look at one verse earlier in Hebrews. It's chapter 3, verse 13. But encourage one another daily. There's the word again, daily. As long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have two problems according to this verse. The first is sin, and the second is the deceitfulness of sin. Our problem isn't just sin. Our problem is the deceitfulness of it. And you and I don't wake up in the morning and say, man, thank you, God, for a new day. I hope I'm going to be deceived today. I hope Satan's going to do a number on me. I hope my spouse is going to betray me. I hope my best friend is going to lie to me or manipulate me. I hope my boss is going to do the same thing. As a matter of fact, I can't wait several times today for several times today because I'm going to deceive myself. No. But this is exactly what verse 13 says sin does. Sin deceives you, and because it's deception, you don't know when it's happening. And you need other people in your life that can say, hey, hey, wait a, wait a minute, you're getting off track. Because we have this tendency to tell ourselves, you know, it's just the way I am. Or, you know, I'm, I'm a modern person today, and, and I see this all the time with young adults. Nobody's going to tell me who I sleep with. What I do with my money. We need to be confronted because sin is deceitful. Now, let me go on to encourage. Encourage is almost the opposite of this concept of spurring. Encouraging is extending sympathy and empathy, or I should say empathy and then sympathy. It's blessing other people with your words, your positive affirmations. Man, I see this in your life. Let me tell you why I love you. Let me tell you why I think you're such a great friend. Let me tell you how I think God is using you. And we bear one encouraging is bearing one another's burdens and a whole sort of other things. But when you put these two together, spurring and encouraging, they tell us that thick, Christian community in contrast to thin or superficial Christian community is made up of two pillars, confrontation and support. Confrontation and encouragement. And when we add to that our our personal commitment to hold to the gospel and the hope that's in, in the gospel, these are the requirements for us to develop here, I'm talking Wheaton Bible Church, thick Christian community that people will love. We're people that are hopeful. Uh, We're people that speak the truth in love. We're people that love the people, love people to truth. And, you know, some churches are long on one, other churches are long on the other. And let's be, uh, let's be long on both or long on all three. And that brings me to the end. Uh, uh, Where do we find uh, the power to pull off this kind of community? Uh, What's the key? And the key is found in verse 19. Uh, Notice this word, confidence. 
We have confidence to enter the most holy place, something no one in the Old Testament could do except the high priest. We have confidence now because of the blood of Jesus. The writer is talking about your personal assurance of your salvation, that you know that you are saved, that you know that you are eternally loved, that you know that Jesus Christ has died for you and you are a part of his family. C.S. Lewis, real quickly, has a great essay. It's entitled The Inner Ring. And if you're a student, I want to suggest it for you. And in the inner ring, he talks about the fact that all of us as humans have a motive, have, a, have this desire to be a part of the in crowd, to be accepted and improve, approved, accepted and approved, two important words, by the people that matter most to us. So it's family, or it's the popular crowd at school, or it's um, your friends, or it's co-workers in, in, in where you work. We want to be a part of the inner ring. I mean, think of street gangs today. Think of what goes on in our junior high and high schools. Think of adults that are name droppers. They want to be a part of the inner ring. But verse 19 all the way through verse 22 tells us, the Bible is teaching us that we have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And the moment we are forgiven, we are adopted into Jesus' family. We are sons and daughters, and we are a part of the ultimate inner ring. Amen? And therefore, we're okay if we don't find our approval elsewhere. And when we understand that we are part of God's inner ring, it frees us to be Christian community activists. It frees us to be selfless, to be sacrificial, to, to be servants, to be generous, because that knowledge, that confidence destroys our insecurity. And along the way, Christian community becomes not a duty, but a delight. And it's our relationships, the passage is teaching us, that make us invincible. And the world will know you are Christians by your love. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come to you. And we worship you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have given us in your word. We ask that you would work in our lives. And you would grow in us a, a, a commitment and an affection for the church in all its forms. The church that Jesus died for. And I pray in Jesus' wonderful, his holy name. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand together. This morning, as we respond to the truth, to the word that we just heard, we're going to respond through the words of the Apostles' Creed. Don't miss the power of what we're about to do. Don't miss the power of what happens when God's people gather and declare what they believe together. And so we're gonna say these words and these words are gonna be a reminder of the truth that we live in every day. 
It's gonna remind us of who God is. It's gonna remind us of who we are. And we're gonna do this together. Would you say this with me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. And the third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. to declare and sing what we believe church let's lift this up with one voice our father everlasting the all-creating one god almighty through your holy spirit conceiving christ the son is jesus our savior so we sing. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. this up. Our judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. I see you alone. Descended into darkness, heroes in glorious life. Forever seated. Yeah. 
So Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. You are sent according to the purposes of God. Purposes that he established before the foundation of this world. You are sent according to the mercy of your Savior, Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, into culture to lift up Jesus and to seek the good of the people around you. And all God's people said, amen. You guys have a terrific day.